Welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Devon, England, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from Wellington, New Zealand, is David Wood. Okay, so this week we thought we would talk about Google I.O. Um, I think as iOS developers we run the risk sometimes of um, kind of being asleep at the wheel with the blinkers on, not really paying attention to what's going on outside of the Apple ecosystem. I know I'm certainly guilty of that. So um, do you want to kick us off, Dave? Got any major takeaways from what you saw? Initial major takeaway was, wow, you know, I've really not looked at what Google's been up to for, for quite a while and kind of written off Android as sort of being, you know, okay, that's over there. I'm over here doing iOS. I'll kind of just ignore it. Um, there was a lot within that that sort of keynote that um, sort of jumped out as being really quite cool. Um, I mean, everybody sort of talked about like the automated telephone calls. Oh, Duplex. Yeah, that that really obviously leaps out. I think that for me was a, a sort of prime example of like the stuff that Google can do really quite well because of the way they have their their AI is server side and you know they've got an awful lot in terms of how they develop that that side of things and i'm not sure that apple is kind of in the same position actually for, for some of these things I, I was really impressed at what i saw and i remember th- i sort of thought to myself can apple even compete in this space if they wanted to right now you know, yeah is, is the battle already sort of lost the, the theme of the the event seemed to be around ai um in a you know, they showed off gmail smart compose where it kind of uses yep. machine learning to suggest phrases as you type, almost kind of like an autocorrect, but more heavy-handed, uh, suggested actions where I think the example they use, if you you went to a wedding with a friend and there was three pictures of your friend, it would kind of prompt you to be like, hey, why don't you send these three photos that contain your friend to your friend? And then obviously Duplex just completely stole the show up. That was my take on it anyway. But then when you look at, like you say, about Apple, it's like a lot of their kind of machine learning is more on device. Uh, yep. Whereas Google were talking about the, their their TPUs, they referred to them as. I guess that's like their server-side hardware that they're using. It just made me think, you know, we got these little A11 chips in our iPhones. It's like, can we really do much with these relative to these giant tpu server farms i don't know uh, but it, it certainly gave me pause i can say that much yeah i mean i think that's that's again one of my major takes here is is that sort of okay well how much of this can apple actually do you know sort of as, as the lay of the land kind of is today uh how much of it would they want to do you know some of these things actually that they're, they're cool but they they rely on a, a sort of breaking of privacy uh, to a degree, you know, you're sending back an awful lot of information back to Google to sort of enable some of this stuff. I don't know. It's it's something that I'd like to see some of these features make it over to iOS, but I don't want to pay the privacy cost. So, yeah, I, I kind of want to see how, how these things can be done without having to sort of give Apple loads and loads of information about me personally to make it happen. I mean, I suppose they could find their way across to iOS in the form of an app, an iOS app from google if a lot of it's in the cloud then there's no reason why it can't but i think what, what you hit upon there is would apple even want to and i think probably the answer is maybe no <laughs> for a lot of the stuff <laughs> i mean just look at duplex that that was uh that was pretty pretty awesome as a tech demo but wow was it creepy oh yeah i was gonna say it's very very technically impressive but there's a, a large part of me that's just like no that's that's too creepy and you know what what's the next step does it end up kind of using my voice you know is that is that something that sort of happens next can can it can can we have uh, ai assistants that are kind of posing as other people that that would be 
something that could probably technically be done, but it falls into that category of, well, it can be done, but, but should it, you know, and I sort of actually, I mean, that's, that's taking it to an extreme, but even just sort of seeing it as the tech demo itself, it still felt creepy enough to me to sort of say, mm, okay, that, that that's cool, but it, I, I wouldn't like to be on the receiving end of a phone call like that. To me, it kind of um, kind of summed up the whole Google versus Apple thing in relation to privacy and all the rest of it. I mean, I was in total awe of the technology, but at the same time, I was kind of disappointed in Google for their kind of, it seemed like there was a total disconnect between what they're trying to achieve technically and then kind of us as a society and what we're willing to accept. Yep. And yeah, it's, it's an impressive tech demo, I get that. But at the same time, I, I don't I don't see Apple ever demoing something like that on stage just because of the pure creepiness and the social implications that it might have. Whereas I think that stuff's maybe like an afterthought with, uh, with Google perhaps. It's like, you know, pursue the technology and then we'll kind of worry about the social and privacy stuff later. I mean, when you think about it, They've made a tool that intentionally tries to fool a human into thinking it was talking to another human. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I know they've made statements since the keynote uh, saying, you yeah, know, this is just a tech demo. And yeah, when in the future, we're going to announce to the person on the other end of the phone that this is actually like the Google Assistant and you're talking to an AI. But just yeah. the way that the AI intentionally sort of armed and ard kind of, you know, it's almost institutionally they, they they don't want to have to admit that to the other person that you're talking to an AI. They want to fool you into thinking that you're talking to a human. Otherwise, why would it um and why would it are? Ah? It's like the intent by yes. design was to make us think we're talking to another human. And I, I yeah, I just don't really think that's cool. There, there was a part of me that felt like this was um, exactly the sort of thing that a developer who doesn't like talking to people would develop. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of cynically, this is sort of a, oh, I hate talking to people on the phone, can't we just automate this? Maybe I'm getting all bent out of shape over just a tech demo, but I kind of take this AI stuff quite seriously. Um, I mean, we haven't discussed it much, but I kind of subscribe to uh, Elon Musk's line of thinking, whereby, you know, AI really could get out of hand if we're not careful. I don't want to get political on a podcast, but <laughs> yeah, we seem to be worried about who's got nuclear weapons. And meanwhile, possibly right under our noses one of the biggest threats to humanity is being developed at a phenomenal pace and and i don't i don't want to come across like i'm all against ai i think it's uh it can be really great but i think we need to be super careful about where it's applied how it's applied and yeah where, where i see an ai dropping in at, um into a conversation with the pure intent of tricking a human i think that's where we need to come together and be like okay this is not okay um we need to have a conversation as a society kind of about what we think is acceptable i i think that conversation desperately needs to be had now because otherwise what comes next yeah i think the trouble with that and again i don't want to get too far down the sort of political rabbit hole but i think the trouble with that is that um people in government are usually very uh, undisposed to being able to legislate on tech because they're not in the field you know, for a start. And and these these sort of things, the nuances of how these things work and everything else kind of just flies over their heads to a large degree. Yeah. I'm generalizing there quite an awful lot and I'll, I'll move off the subject, but <laughs> I think that's the worry I've got is that actually being able to put the guards on this sort of stuff is almost impossible because the people who should be able to do it are not actually as capable to do it as they could be. Which I guess kind of puts the focus on just regular people like when this tech demo went out the internet kind of lit up and people were like no 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 this is not okay maybe just that needs to happen whenever we see something we don't like we need to be like no 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 push back this is 
not where we want to go. Maybe over time we'll get used to it. I don't know. Um, it just makes me uneasy, though. Yeah, and, and and maybe you know this is iterative, and those reactions can then, like you say, you know that Google have then taken a step back and kind of gone, oh, if we do this live, we're going to be prefacing the call and telling people that they're on that sort of call. You know that that's obviously a reaction to some of this feedback that they've had uh, from the demo, and it doesn't mean that these things necessarily will be stopped, but it does mean that they could be just sort of tweaked and made a little less kind of creepy, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's a balancing act. And I think for me with AI, I, I feel like it has to be an enhancement to something you were going to do anyway. Um, I'm not sure that's necessarily the best working definition, but I mean, that, that getting back to the Google I.O. itself, they had things like the adaptive battery, which, you know, it tries to spend the battery life on the things that you want to use, on the apps that you care about as an individual. And it learns that over time by, you know, looking at your activity and, and what you do and when you do it and that sort of stuff. And then, you know, it tunes which applications are sort of, I guess, given kind of like foreground um, time, as it were, if it was on iOS, that's kind of what it would be. They, they'd be allowed to run in the background and w- they wouldn't have their processes killed, at least not immediately. So... Something like that, I think, is a good example of like, okay, that's that's quite benign AI. You know, I mean, it needs to know a fair bit about me to to work, um, but it's enhancing something for me. It's giving me something straight back. Um, and it's also not trying to really fool me or do anything untoward to sort of achieve its goal. Yeah, yeah, I, I, um, I completely agree with what you're saying there. It did make me think, actually, You know, have you seen the, uh, is it Boston Dynamics with all their, the robots? Yes. If you've been seeing the videos online as as they sort of drip feed them, I think there was one where like they got got these robots that are kind of like dogs, and one opened the door for the other one. And yes. There's other things where one does a backflip. I'm thinking, wow, if they if like they can climb stairs. Yeah. If if like Google Duplex Tech got into one of those, and it could talk and it could like open doors, <laughs> it's like I, I know it sounds like kind of like a, a bit, sounds a bit weird, but it's like we're really not that far from like building a Terminator <laughs> if we, if we if we no. really think about it. I know, I know that's like a kind of a bit of a weird argument to make and you kind of hear it quite a lot when this kind of thing comes out. You get random people saying, oh yeah, it's just going to be like the Terminator and just people roll their eyes. But if you stop and think about it, it's, it we're not that far. I mean, zip no. forward 10 years, what are those robots going to be able to do that were opening doors and doing backflips? Probably a lot more than what they're doing right now, which is already very impressive. I mean, you could say that in those examples that Google showed off, um, yeah, there are people saying that did Google just pass the Turing test? which is a huge yes. moment for tech if it did. Yeah, absolutely. So I think everything just we just need to double down on as a society kind of looking at this and being vocal when we see something we don't like. Um, because like you say, I think legislation is going to be incredibly difficult in this space. So I think... As, as slow as well. Oh, yeah, very slow. So we just need to be as vocal as we possibly can be whenever we see something that we think is not quite right. Um, I think that's kind of the best we can do at the moment. That being said... You know, as impressive as these uh, as these demos were with uh, Duplex, I do wonder if maybe Google aren't all the way there, even though those demos gave the impression that they were. Um, and, and I say that in the sense that I wonder how, how easy it would be for a real human to throw this AI off track. Like, let's say you and I was on the other end of the court and we knew it was Google. It probably wouldn't take much, would it? Probably not, no. And and I can imagine kids and people who just can't be bothered talking to, to something that they know is not real, as it were, you know, looking for ways to wind these things up. And 
you know, trying to get it in loops so that you're sticking all sorts of stuff in this person's calendar. And <laughs> I mean, you know, if you receive a call like that and your job is, I give the example of booking a hairdresser's appointment, you know, you're getting a call from somebody who cannot be bothered to speak to you. They've sent the AI. Yep. Yeah. And the chances are that person probably earns an order of magnitude more money than you potentially. Yeah. So I could very much imagine that that person is going to want to to mess around with what's going on, you know, because it's a bit of a sort of, well, you can't even be bothered to speak to me, mate. Uh, (laughs) You know, I don't really mind if this is going to email you 10 times and and mess up your day on the other side sort of thing. Um, (laughs) The customers that like us come in in person, you know, it's that sort of uh, that sort of thing. So I don't know, it's, um, I'm trying to wonder what sort of problem it's really trying to solve as well. So, so this is a case of this sort of stuff. It solves the problem of people being kind of time poor. It, it sort of automates off these, these kind of mini tasks, you know, it's, it's, it's for, I guess, jobs that a, a PA or an assistant would do for somebody who's, who's like a CEO or whatever. It's, it's kind of these sort of normal, um, in your life kind of things that you have to do unless somebody does it for you. So yeah, if you sort of think about, well, okay, that's that's what these things are trying to solve. Um, are there are there better ways that they could be solved? See, to me, I think what they're actually trying to do, if you look at things like those restaurant booking services, is like Open Table. Is that one of them? Yeah, where a restaurant subscribes to Open Table, and then their kind of availability for an evening is, a, you know, you can view it on the Open Table and book a table and all the rest of it. If you're like a, a small family restaurant that hasn't done that. And you just work out of a like a paper diary. Google yep. has got no inroad in, into you as a business in terms of being able to interact with you, sort of offer automated bookings, even like index your opening hours, things like that. So maybe this is a way to kind of index the unindexable, if that makes I sense. I haven't thought about that, but I think that's absolutely true. That's probably what their motive is, I would imagine. I mean, yeah, they can spin, yeah. oh, we want to help people and, you know, save you time. So actually they probably want to have these bots going out and phoning restaurants and phoning local businesses. And you could even imagine them sort of phoning up and being like, oh, hey, what's your opening hours? And then the person tells them, okay, great, thanks, bye. And then before you know it, it's been updated on like Google when you Google for the business name or something, their opening hours come up. Yep. If there's a bank holiday coming up, because I noticed I had a Google email saying, oh, make sure you update your uh, your business opening hours for uh, for the bank holiday that's coming up. I was like, oh yeah, whatever, and left it. But you, you can imagine mm. them potentially doing that, or like a hair salon or, or a restaurant or some other service-based business. Um, oh hi, uh, what's what's your opening hours for the upcoming bank holiday weekend? And they tell you, and there you go, done. Uh, so yeah. I guess it's like another another way for Google to to reach out to places that it previously couldn't. Yeah, no, I could see that being being quite a thing. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, it's it's all. Uh, providing an, an ability for them to profile places um, and get that sort of information together. It's kind of digitizing the analog world, isn't it? Yeah, like a, a paper sort of diary on a, on you know in a restaurant. Google can't get to that, but yep. sort of by having a, a person, or I say a person, <laughs> an AI <laughs> that can phone up and ask questions and and kind of derive information that's stored in that paper diary is kind of the best they can do. Versus yeah, you know, having all these digital systems which not everyone does. Yeah, and I mean, potentially even driving some of these places um, into products that they've got waiting for them online as well. You know, get too many of these telephone calls. Hmm, have you thought about, you know, using whatever service here that hooks them directly into a 
a, a Google Calendar thing or whatever, you know. I can see that profiling information being quite valuable, I guess, just in terms of Google then being able to sell other services to these these companies. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I thought there were another, um, some nice other touches. I quite Did you see uh, the, the Google, is it Google Lens? I thought yes. that was pretty neat. I was quite impressed so with that. The lens looked really powerful. And actually, that's something where I think Apple could compete with Google. Uh, to a point yeah that was the thing where i kind of thought oh yeah where they said uh you know you can do like barcode scanning and stuff like that I'm like, oh that's kind of the same path that apple were on with uh sort of core ml uh last year i think wasn't it uh, core vision and, and ar kit as well sort of combining there too i, I like the, um, uh, the the demo where they copy and pasted text from a, like a real world piece of paper that that yes. was that was pretty neat but yeah like you say i think that, that's kind of stuff that apple could feasibly do uh with with core ml and kind of with yeah, the the chips that are in the phones now, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, pretty impressed. I like the um, I like the Google Maps demo as well, uh, where that was sort of combined with like a, an AR like wayfinder kind of thing, and they had the little fox <laughs> that, that could sort of come in and show you where to go. I thought that was quite sweet. Um, that's again, that's something that Apple could kind of do with with AR kit. Yeah, it's just. It's interesting to see some of these things kind of nudging along and progressing just that little bit further sort of each year. I just find it interesting to keep an eye on things like this. Um, like I say, because as as an indie Apple developer, I find it's quite easy just to turn a blind eye to this. Quite often I find that I'm guilty of when I hear, I hear of like an impressive sounding thing that another company has done. And I find if I'm not careful, my kind of instant reaction is, oh, yeah, sure, but Apple hasn't done it. So no doubt this company's kind of rushed it and it's flawed in some way. Therefore, I don't need to pay attention to it. And yep. I'm, that's not a good place to be in, I don't think. Uh, I remember I uh, used to hang out with someone that was quite into into Android and he would tell me all this stuff and I'd be like, oh, yeah, great, yeah, whatever. And I would just completely just brush it off as, as nothing. But I think... I think it's important uh, to kind of keep your eyes open. Uh, and this has only been happening recently for me, like inside the last 12 months. And this is probably the first Google I.O. I've actually paid attention to. So, yeah, I think it's, it's very easy just to just to kind of get siloed in kind of like the the Apple iOS world and not see the broader picture. Doesn't mean I'm going to be switching to Android anytime soon or even developing an Android app. Um I still maintain that Android just isn't for me. Might be for other people. That that's that's fine. That's great. That's that's all about choice, and, and I completely get that. But nevertheless, I think it's important that just to keep your your mind open to new ideas and not becoming kind of too entrenched in the Apple way, so to speak. Just keep yeah. an open mind. I think that's uh, that's probably more important now than than it has ever been. And I think there's probably something here as well in terms of you sort of saying, okay it's you've taken this broader view over this last year and i think i have too it's kind of like okay i've been wondering like what's been driving that is that that i'm getting kind of bored with where ios is and i'm interested in you know the grass is greener on the other side of the fence or something i don't quite think it is that i think it's more a case of mobile itself is stabilizing now so a lot of the immediate jumps you know like camera quality hd video um retina screens all of these things um it's kind of like that that battleground has has, has happened those, those bits have, have have happened and platforms as, as a whole are start, starting to get quite stable you know like some of the the updates for ios i think people are going to just look at after wwdc this year it's just going to be a case of oh yeah cool that's that's all right you know like 
the, the, the progression is, is slowing in some parts. It's speeding up in others. So the AI, that side of stuff, AR kit, all of those sort of things, that, that's new. And that's, you know, really quite, it has the potential to be quite rapid in terms of its development and what's going on there as well. But the broader piece of what it is to have a mobile app and make a mobile app and what, what apps look like and what users expect, that sort of stuff. We're kind of in this this more stable period now, I think. And so I think for me, that's part of why I've been looking at what's going on in Android and that sort of world as well, because it's... It, yeah things are generally stable let's look at sort of what's going on elsewhere and, and kind of see where new ideas are coming from as well um i think it, it may help me understand them a bit better when apple steals them as they do or, or integrates good ideas to the platform you know <laughs> um, they all do it you know there's apple ideas coming over to google as well um i, I noticed that uh and in Google I.O., they mentioned something about what they described as slices. Yes. <laughs> bits of apps can sort of be manifested in the wider operating system. And to me, I look at that and that that's extensions. You know, that's that's extensions by a different name and, and, and slightly different in how they manifest. But it's a very similar kind of concept. So, yeah, I think it's good. It's good to stay broad with your view. It's good to sort of see where things may be coming from um, down the path for your platform sort of seeded from other platforms um and do you know what if the grass really look greener then jump and have a look you know there's it's not a travesty to suddenly turn around and say oh i want to make an android app just because you, you've been attached to making ios apps for so long you know if you really thought there was some sort of burning need to to go and make something there and have a look then you know as developers i think we should stay inquisitive Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button, that will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast, and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com. Again, that's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? Yeah, you can find my remote control for Cody at armchair-remote.com, my latest app to help kids learn to read. You can find it at spacereaders.com. And on Twitter, I'm at underscore Dave Knott.